There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The chief medical officer says without vaccine certs, indoor hospitality could have remained shut until September, as Taoiseach insists delaying reopening was the right call. It is the only motivation of government. It's to protect that and protect people, not divide people, not divide society. We want to protect society. So where does that leave pubs and restaurants following today's talks? And concerns mount over fairness and enforcement of vaccine passes. On our first panel tonight, we're joined by Fine Gael Senator Barry Ward and by independent TD Michael healy Ray. And are we falling behind the rest of Europe when it comes to travel and living with this virus? We'll be hearing from young people left feeling sidelined by the reopening decisions. And later in the programme, our Dublin-based SALT debates continue with the big issues from the doorsteps. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. So we're joined first by the Chief Executive of the Licensed Vintners Association, Donal O'Keefe. Donal, you and others had talks today with the government in relation to the reopening. So where do things stand now? Well, I think we had a very serious, very sombre uh, meeting uh, with members of government and cabinet today. It's an extraordinary serious issue. We have been treated absolutely appallingly over the past 48 hours. Our sole focus is about getting our members reopened. Uh, so there was a two-hour engagement on that important topic and a commitment for a working group to be set up uh, no later than Monday to examine how we can reopen the hospitality sector safely and quickly. So we look forward to engaging in that. But we have enormous challenges given the uh, amazing developments over the past two days. But would you accept that the government has to put public health first rather than the commercial interests of your members. Absolutely. And we have followed public health advice right through from the very start back in the 15th of March last year, and we will continue to do that. Uh, we are aware, though, that the health of our and the government advised a month ago that the 5th of July was a date to reopen indoor hospitality. We were full set to go, and the uh, uh, developments over the previous 48 hours have shocked us to our very core. They may have shocked you, but you are in a situation where you're learning today as well that the chief medical officer would have had you shot until September if there wasn't the idea of the compromise of having vaccinated people allowed in. Are you going to play along with that? If it were to get you open by the 19th of July, would you say that, OK, we'll take vaccinated people only? We think this is a ridiculous proposal. It's unworkable, it's unfair. It's unfair on the businesses, on our staff, on our customers. There are huge legal issues around it. There's discrimination issues around it. 
there's a basic fairness around it about how we treat unvaccinated people, how we treat our younger customers. We do not think this is the way to go. Uh, we are looking forward to engaging with government to develop an alternative plan to get public open no later than the 19th of July, the date that international travel uh, resumes, six weeks after hotels have been trading in their bars and in their restaurants, and noting that right across Europe, indoor hospitality is open for everyone. OK, Donald O'Keefe, thank you very much for joining us. We're joined here in studio now by Senator Barry Ward and by Independent TD Michael Healy-Ray. And Michael, if I could start with you, it's been reported that within the last hour, the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has told the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party that the biggest hurricane to ever hit Ireland is coming. And he pointed to the massive increase in new COVID cases in Scotland. In such circumstances, isn't it entirely appropriate that the government has not allowed the reopening of indoor dining and drinking? No, it is not. And I would say so on the following grounds. First of all, the uncertainty, the lack of proper political leadership. Usually when you speak about Atisha Katanish, the Minister for Health, you call them political leaders. For the last 24 hours, I am calling them political followers because all they're doing is they're listening to advice, but they seem incapable, unwilling are just incompetent when it comes to making a decision and sticking to it. You must look at what is happening around the rest of Europe. Like every place else is opened up except us. They were given a date. The people who work in the hospitality sector were given a date. In good faith, they took that. They but the did. circumstances have changed. When the facts change, don't you change your mind? No, no, I quite simply don't agree with that. Because what they're doing is they, they didn't even have a clear plan yesterday when they made the announcement. And having the discussions today with the representatives from the association after making their decision and announcing it, wouldn't they have at least have given them the courtesy of meeting them beforehand? We all know now what is going to happen in the 19th. If we are not fully opened in the 19th, people will be able to uh, go out on foreign travels. They will leave this country. They will go abroad and they will holiday abroad. Up until the other day, the government were telling us about the great outdoor summer we were going to have in Ireland. Now, another thing about, the, like it does rain here and it does get cold here, like we're not Lanzarote here in the south of Spain or anything like that. And what we have to remember is that we are treating these people, these hardworking, good people in that sector, whether they're the workers, the owners, the proprietors, the people running those businesses, we are treating them with a complete but Michael, sorry, and absolute But Michael, you haven't addressed lack. the point that I put to you, that what Stephen Donnelly said tonight is that the biggest hurricane to ever hit Ireland is coming. And I, he drew the comparisons with the surge of numbers I, in Scotland. I, Could it not be the case that the rest of Europe is right and that our health authorities, or sorry, the rest of Europe is wrong well, and our health authorities that, are correct? Well, that's what I was just going to say to you. What I would say directly to Minister Donnelly is look at what his compatriots are doing in the rest of Europe. Are they doing this to their industry? No, they're not. If you look at the map and if you look at who's opened and who's shut, we are the only people who are inflicting this type of hardship on these people who all they want to do is run their businesses. And the final point I'll make, if we opened up we are not saying to people it is compulsory that you have to go to your local pub or indoors to your, to your restaurant. It's an option that's there to them. These people opened up last year. I know you might say we didn't have the variants last year, but we opened up in a safe and proper manner and all we're asking is to be allowed the, opportun the, the opportunity to do so again. 
Barry Ward, does it not look like this government has been scared by the worst case scenario that has been put to it, even though we're now discovering that the Taoiseach seemingly misled the Cabinet as to the extent of this, um, the methodology being used by Enfit in calculating how many potential cases and deaths we would get? No, I, I certainly wouldn't use the word scared, but the government is rightly concerned. And it should be concerned because the first job of the government is to protect lives. And lives in Kerry as much as lives in any other part of the country. And that's what is at the heart of this decision. You cannot put popularity or politics ahead of that. That must be at the forefront of everything. And Michael it seems to be criticising both the decision and the manner in which it was communicated. I think one of them is probably valid. And none of us would like to have seen it communicated the way that it was. But the validity of the decision is clear. And the basis behind that is clear. Oh, sorry, hold on. The basis for the decision was that there was modelling done by Enfit, which did not take into account the change that was allowed by NIAC in relation to vaccinations for young people. That changes the numbers, and if the numbers change, does that mean but that the, the reason, decision not to reopen is justified? The, the, the reason to delay the reopening of indoor dining is specifically to enable the, the acceleration of the vaccination programme, to include more people under the blanket of vaccination and to protect them. Notwithstanding the fact that the numbers might be slightly different, we still know that there is a huge risk associated with the Delta variant. It's much more tr transmissible. It has accelerated numbers in every other country it has hit. So we anticipate so that that will happen here. So then why are you allowing indoor here. dining in hotels? Well, I mean, Why are you allowing the, unvaccinated people to work in those hotels serving people who may or may not be vaccinated? The, Why is it that unvaccinated people, even young people, could book into a hotel and get a meal or go to the bar there, but they couldn't go to a restaurant or pub? The reality is that the people who are partaking of hotels, like they're a tiny fraction of the number of people who would be indoor compared to if you were op to open restaurants or pubs wholesale. The other assumption are they expendable, that, that number, is it? Of course not, Matt. Um, but the, the reality is that it's a tiny number. And in order to allow aspects of the economy to function, that had to be done. But it's important to remember that no part of COVID is fair. None of it, nobody is happy about this decision having to be made, but the decision is made for the right reason. It's made for the, the reason of protecting the population. And that is this fundamental reason why it's been made and that must be held without. The message from government is very clear. If you have a key of a bedroom in your pocket, you're safe and, and protected from the variant. But you, uh, but, but, Michael, well, you, you no, can no, always no, distill just, it down I, to a little I, catchphrase. I didn't interrupt you now. Yeah, no, but you've already said, you've already Continuous said, the evidence changes, but you don't change your mind. So you don't refer, you don't react to changes in the, the basis I, for the decision. Well, let you, Michael you, make you, his yes. point. No, My point Barry. is, you're trying to hear tonight, and I have nothing but utmost respect for you, but you're trying to defend the indefensible. Because over the last 24 hours, the government have hobbled, they've shook, they've whimpered. If they came out clearly with a plan, and if they were concise, and if they were authoritative in with their speaking, but they're just limping from one press release to the other, and we have three or four there, people coming out to saying different things at different so, times, second, and so there's if, if they were completely no, the decision would be okay. There, there's completely no joined up thinking, but, and you know what you're okay. doing tonight. You're on a you've, slippery slope because two, you're defending you the, the indefensible. The points you made. The first thing is you're suggesting if somehow the decision had been authoritative or communicated better, it would be all right which suggests you are okay with the decision, but at the same time you're saying that you aren't. But then you accuse them of being cowardly and, 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 and not doing the thing that is easiest to do, when in actual fact, what they have done is the braver thing, to follow the advice that is difficult, that is going to cause political difficulty for them at key times. And they have followed the advice of the experts because they know that is the best way to safeguard the lives of people in Ireland. And it would be absolutely easier for them to follow every other government in, in Europe. But we know that the death tolls but in those countries have been higher. that are now going to be between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated? Yeah. Even two senior members of your parliamentary party tonight, it's being reported, John Paul Phelan and Michael Ring,
Reading have said that if it comes to a vote on the Dáil in relation to the use of these vaccine passports, they'll vote no. Well, as I said, there is nothing fair about COVID. So, for example, if you go back a year, people in an older age category were told they had to cocoon at home. And there was nothing fair about that either. So the reality is that COVID is a desperately unfair situation and none of us is happy with that. But... I bring it back to the science and to the expert advice. You have to follow that advice. It is irresponsible to do otherwise. And it might be popular to do otherwise. It might even be expedient politically, Michael, when, but it is not the right thing to do. When you look at Europe, so they're all out of step except our Johnny. In every, other words, we are right and the rest of Europe is wrong. Every country is different, but I will say this. I don't, I don't know if that's... Every country is different. Every country has had a different experience of COVID, but the relative death tolls in every one of the countries you can mention in Europe is higher than it has been in Ireland. Michael, are you not worried about what's going on? Scotland, over 3,000 cases. The, other day, the highest number they've yes. ever had. A lot of it have been put down to people travelling down to London for the England-Scotland football match. In the UK, in Britain... 26,000 new cases today, the highest number they've had since January. And this is in a country which is way ahead of us when it comes to vaccinations. Does that the, not scare you? The, the one thing that I'd say to Matt about the whole situation, I don't want anybody to be sick. I don't want anybody to die the same as everybody else. That's one thing that we all have in common. But it's just how we deal with the situation, the common sense of what is being proposed. I'll give you an example. Can you explain to me, and I don't want to be put on the spot now or anything, but can you explain to me why it's all right for up to 50 people to go into a wedding, but at the same time, we can't have a christening or a communion or a confirmation? There's no sense in that. Usually, when you have a, 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 the christening of a child, it's only the parents, the godparents and the priest, and maybe a very small number of friends, a very small little tight family affair. That's not allowed. Where's the sense in that? Where is the sense in telling people that they can't have their holy communion or their confirmation? Where is the sense in that? And at the same time, we can have uh, 60,000 people in Barcelona inside. I mean, it's just crazy. And there's no here, common sense I mean, in can, what is being the, the, uh, uh, given out to the people. And we have to swallow it up well, and take it. The, the, the overarching idea behind the restrictions is to protect people. Now, of course, you can look at it and say, I don't like that, I don't like that, and that contradicts the advice on this. Of course, that's the case. And even, again, as you look at the restrictions throughout this pandemic, there have been times where groups have been discriminated against, undoubtedly. And that is, but hang on, it's, are, you, it's are you going to discriminate against those people who decide that they do not want to be vaccinated? No, the, are you going to discriminate young, against younger people who are not vaccinated, have a two-tier society that the vaccinated can do some things and the unvaccinated can't do others. The, the reality is that people are, are in, are, I'm very uncomfortable with that, to be perfectly honest with you, but people who are vaccinated and therefore protected and also less likely to pass on um, the, the, the virus if they have it are in a different position. But that equally applies to people who have had COVID-19, people who have had negative PCR tests. So there are other ways that that can be done. Nobody is comfortable with the notion I, of creating a two-tier system. Nobody at all. And particularly I, disadvantaging young people who have not had the I, opportunity I've to I've spoken to people in the legal profession. Now, I know legal issues, you can argue on every side of this debate. And remember, the, he is a barrister. Yes, yes. But that's why I'm putting it him. The one thing that I'd say to you is people are saying that this will not be enforceable from the point of view of a, a person asking a person about their uh, health. Have you had a vaccine, haven't you? And saying, well, you can enter, you can't. And what do you say to mom and dad then that have their children who aren't vaccinated? Well, now leave the kids outside and leave them play around on the road there while you come in and eat your meal. It is 
crazy. I, I and again, you're trying to defend in a very nice way. You say, you're trying to defend Michael, the indefensible. I appreciate where you're coming from, but I don't think you can say blanketly that that's illegal. There are logistic issues. I didn't say, that, no, I said I it's debatable. Yeah, it is debatable, exactly. And the very points that people raise can be addressed and there are logistical okay. issues that can be used to solve those problems. Stay with us, lads, because we're now joined via Skype by the Europe correspondent for the Irish Times, Naomi O'Leary. Naomi, I know you've been looking into the issue of indoor dining throughout the rest of Europe. Is it true to say that Ireland's on its own in not allowing indoor dining to take place? Not quite, but almost. Most of the EU has indoor dining. There are, however, restrictions. It's not a free-for-all. Um, some countries, for example, have an alcohol curfew. Um, that would be the case for Denmark and Sweden and so on, uh, which call time at a fixed hour. I think that's 10 p.m. in Sweden. Um, other countries uh, have as much as three metres mandated between tables. There's lots of limitations on occupancy, whether that's at 30% or 50%. It's different between countries and also in some cases it's different within regions of the same country, depending on the level of COVID infections there. Do any of them have the substantial meal to have with a drink like we used to have last year? I haven't come across that specific rule, but yes, alcohol consumption alone is generally tougher regulated. Um, so for in Croatia, for example, there's no indoor drinking. Um, if it's an establishment that only serves drinks, um, then you can't have, you can only have outdoor uh, service for that. Um, so that's an example of that. And also the alcohol curfews that I mentioned. And uh, do people have to prove they've been vaccinated or that they have had a negative PCR or antigen test before they're allowed to enter an establishment? In a number of countries that's used or has been used, roughly 10 countries have put a system like that in place. Um, particularly Cyprus was one of the early ones. Also Hungary, they gave out passes to everybody to access, not just restaurants, but also any kind of entertainment venue, whether that's a cinema or a hairdresser. Um, it's part of incentivizing people to get the vaccine and also uh, combining reopening with a situation where not everybody is vaccinated. So allowing businesses to serve people who are protected while avoiding that cases rise. Um, so that's a compromise that a number of countries have implemented. Are any countries using the EU digital travel cert as a means for gaining entry to cafes or restaurants or bars in their own countries? Yeah, that started to be implemented, I think, about four to six weeks ago by some EU countries. And as of we speak, 26 countries are now using and issuing to their citizens EU digital passes. So Ireland is the only one that hasn't implemented it. And that's because of the cyber attack on the HSE, which has slowed down the ability to implement this system. Um, but yeah, it's live all over the EU. Now, this system isn't designed for use in, in restaurants and for internal use. It's designed to facilitate travel. Um, so it's a, it's a QR code. It's an app on your phone that allows um, airports uh, security to check whether you've been vaccinated, whether you've recovered from COVID-19 or whether you have a negative test. It's designed to ease travel and stop queues from building up. However, there's nothing to stop countries from using it as a domestic measure if they want to, because it does serve as proof of vaccination or negative test if that's a policy decision that local and um, national governments want to implement. Naomi O'Leary, Europe correspondent of the Irish Times, thank you very much for being with us here on The Tonight Show. Thank you.
So there you are now, Michael. All over Europe, there are countries that are putting in stringent requirements when it comes to going indoors to eat and drink, including in many cases requiring people to prove that they've been vaccinated or have had the illness. That's what our government is talking about doing. Why wouldn't you support that, as happens in many parts of Europe? But not in all parts of Europe. You, uh, you're, you're being selective now, no, no, but, but what are you being? You're being selective. I'm being as selective as you are. But you've heard earlier, the chief medical officer says that if he didn't do this, there'd be nothing open before the end of September. So is it not better that you at least get some business into our cafes and bars and restaurants by allowing the vaccinated in rather than having them shut entirely till the end of September? That's an opinion and if you support it... That's a question I'm asking, No, no, no but it's an opinion that has been stated and if you're asking my, me my opinion of that, which I'm entitled to, I don't agree with it. What I am saying is if the people were allowed the opportunity to realise the expectation that they were given, that was to to have opened yesterday and not to be dropped in the way that they are. Like, do people realise what these people are going through mentally, the frustration that they're feeling at present? I'm not even talking about the monetary issue. I'm not saying anything about that. But mentally, the expectation of having everything ready to open your doors. And at the last minute, in a very unprofessional and in, like I say, in a, in a happy, hazard way making this announcement and not even being sure about what the Taoiseach was saying because he wasn't and when he was questioned he was clearly at sea with regard okay. to the whole way forward there was no giant up professional haphazard at sea well, the first thing to say is the government understands very clearly the impact that this has had on the, the businesses affected. It's it's awful for them. There's no two ways about that. And nobody would want this to happen. The advice that came from the, the experts in this came at the last minute and came with very little notice. And I think everybody would agree that it would have been preferable to have a much more concrete, much more explored plan before the announcement was made. But if we had waited a week, for example, to put everything in place and let them know a week later, they would have been in a worse place. And you would be criticising us for that, Michael, legitimately. Um, the reality is that it was, it was given at short notice and I think everybody would like to have been clearer on it, but the time didn't allow for that. It was much more important to let people know where they stood as soon as possible, but okay. everybody regrets that. Our panel is staying with us and after the break, have young people been left in the lurch by the government's reopening decision? And our Dublin-based thought by-election debates continue. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today.
Welcome back. Now, Barry Ward and Michael Healy Ray are still with us. And we're joined now via Skype by Claire Ostick, who is the new president of the Students' Union of Ireland. Uh, congratulations on your new job, Claire. We've been hearing a lot about young people who been left frustrated and disappointed with yesterday's reopening decision. How much is that is down to students who were perhaps working at present in hospitality without being vaccinated? Certainly, Matt, and thank you very much for having me here tonight. Um, I suppose, first of all, uh, the global pandemic has impacted on all of us in a very negative way. Um, and many students and young people are working in the hospitality sector, um, part-time jobs, sometimes full-time jobs to fund themselves through college. Um, and I suppose with the, the recent announcement, um, we cannot be in a situation where young people and students cannot avail of indoor dining, but they're expected to work. Um, so we want to see a more fair and equal approach um, to ensure that students are included within the conversation, but they also have access to a safe working environment. So what's your solution? Because we've had lots of people over the last six months or so who have wanted earlier vaccinations and who didn't get them, teachers being one particular group. But would you suggest that maybe students should get accelerated vaccinations, particularly if they're working in hospitality? Um, certainly, and I suppose um, we, we just cannot be in a situation where students and workers are um, serving those who are fully vaccinated and are expected to work under those conditions. Um, so ultimately, um, the decision lies with the government following public health advice, um, but we certainly do want a fair and more equal approach to ensure that students are included um, and that they have those safe working conditions while working. One of the other shocks in the last couple of days has been to learn that Tony Holohan is concerned about the possibility of schools reopening in September and also the third level institutions, which, of course, have been largely shut to students who have been working from home for the last 18 months. How fearful are you that the promised return of third level education to the campuses might now be under threat? Um, so recently, the Minister, Simon Harris, uh, would have launched a framework um, to support um, a safe on-campus return. Um, so higher education institutions have a plan in terms of allowing for a safe on-campus return. Um, and this is crucially important. Students um, are, want to be back on campus, but they want to be back on campus in a safe manner to have that holistic student experience by engaging in clubs and societies, volunteering opportunities, and being able to have conversations with their friends in the canteen. Um, so this is something that would have been, I suppose, a, a priority in terms of getting students back on campus. Um, and it ultimately lies with higher education institutions, the direction from the government to ensure that this can happen, that students can be back on campus in September in a safe way. And there's one other thing I want to ask you about, and that's the decision by NIAC that has also been announced that now the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines are going to be given to the under 40s if they want to take them. Do you anticipate amongst those in their late teens, early 20s, that there will be an enthusiastic take-up of these vaccines or might there be some reluctance? Well, young people and students want to return um, to a more normal life. Um, students want to be vaccinated, they want to be on campus, be able to participate and engage with people in a meaningful way again. Um, so I'd imagine that many students would um, be happy to receive the vaccine if the opportunity presents itself. Thank you very much for being with us here on The Tonight Show. Michael Healy-Ray, I mean, there's been a lot of controversy about the order in which people get vaccinated, but now vast numbers are being done every week. Is there an argument to push the students up to the top of the queue to get them doing work in society if we are going to be reopening hospitality? You could make that argument, but one thing that we have to be concerned about about our young people 
uh, we have to be concerned not just about their health. I mentioned mental health already, but about their mental health. And one thing that has happened in the last number of weeks, and I don't blame in the, them in the slightest for it, young people have been heading to the north for weekends, groups of people going away because of the simple fact that different rules pertain above there than they do here at present. I don't think that's safe. I think it would be better. I'd rather it if we could keep them in our own counties, wherever that is around the country, and not be what I would call forcing them to have this only other option. Well, we'll go away for the weekend. We'll go to Belfast. What is that doing itself? It's sending them travelling outside of their own jurisdictions. It's sending them to congregations where they wouldn't be as many people may be congregate, congregating. And in other words, the rules are having an adverse effect in the wrong way, if you know what I mean by that. And I would dearly like to see, I, I believe it would be better for everybody if we had every place opened up, what it would mean is we'd be more spread out and there'd be more normality. And that's why I'm saying the government have it wrong. They have it wrong on so many fronts. But to answer your question, of course you could make that argument for speeding up. But I just want to say, and it would be very, very wrong and disrespectful of me if I didn't say this. The people who are administering the vaccines, the people who are working in the centres, the, 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 the people in charge of it, the actual people doing it, the people organising the crowds. I want to say one very simple thing on your programme tonight. I want to say thanks very much because they're not doing a good job. They're doing an excellent job. They're putting their hearts and souls into it. They're looking at it as a team effort. And I, 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 I deal an awful lot with different... Um, complications that happen with people getting vaccines and issues that arise uh, just doing my job, helping my constitu constituents. But it is no notice to have people contacting me at 10 and 11 and 12 o'clock at night, people who work for the HSE, saying, yes, we've done this, we've done that. And I just want to say thanks for All that. Right, okay, because that have, nobody, it's important it to recognise it. Barry, there are other issues. I mean, it may not be the government's fault because they didn't get the supplies that have been promised by a couple of the manufacturers. But we are behind. The initial target was to have everyone having at least 80% of the adult population having at least one shot by today. It's going to be 65% rather than 80%. So how can we be confident that all adults will be done by the end of August, as now has been suggested, rather than September, so as to get all of these adults, particularly back into third-level education. Well, the good news, Matt, as you know, is that NIAC has now said that all the vaccines are available for all age groups. So that hopefully will allow the acceleration of the vaccine programme for younger age groups, as you've said. And it's important, while there was negative publicity attached with, to some of them, the reality is that two things. Firstly, the risk to anyone associated with the vaccine is very, very small. But secondly, I understand that the figures show that the reluctance among young, younger age groups is, is not particularly different from any other age group. Well, Fianna so, Fáil's James O'Connor apparently tonight told his parliamentary party meeting that young people are disengaged, they're cynical about government. He's suggesting that every young person should get a €150 bonus to take the vaccine. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where that's coming from because my... It's coming from was, James O'Connor No, I know, but I don't know where, he, so, do don't know think, where he's getting it from. And idea, I, I wasn't in the Fianna Fáil parliamentary but party meeting. But do you think meeting. it's a good idea? To I, I, I don't think it's necessary, people. actually. Any young people I speak to are, just as Claire said, they're very enthusiastic enthusiastic about the prospect of getting the vaccine, very enthusiastic about being safe from the, the virus and being in a position to, as, as like Michael talks about normality, we all want normality. Normality, we hope, is coming, but these are not normal times. And until we have the advice from the people who know what they're talking about, that we can safely return to normality, it's not appropriate to do so. Everybody wants to do it. And the best way to do that is to advance the vaccination. And what program. about using 
then the pharmacists and a greater number and to a greater range of people rather than just the over 50s. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the programme, I'm, I'm in favour of that and I think the government is in favour of that too, but the programme has been designed in a way to deal with the people who are at most risk first. So, and that's why the age, the, there, there's been a two-pronged approach. One is in terms of descending age, but then additionally people who are at risk. So when the advice is to change that, then it should be changed. But absolutely, everybody who is available to give a vaccine, where there is a vaccine available, should be should be able to do it. But it's important to remember, there are no spare vaccines. There's no surplus of vaccines, loads of vaccines in a warehouse that aren't given out. Every vaccine that is in this country has been administered or is being administered in a short period of time. And that, that is a huge mark of the success of the programme. We were hearing earlier from Naomi O'Leary about the EU travel, the digital COVID uh, certificate, which comes into play for the rest of Europe tomorrow, but we're waiting until the 19th, being partly blamed on the HSE hack. If we were to reopen our restaurants and bars and have all the hotels open as well, would you be happy to see foreign people coming to holiday in Kerry and the rest of Ireland, Michael? Well, I'll put it to this way. I, there are so many um, possibilities in that question that it's, it's, it's a very hard question to answer. It's a very straightforward... No, it's not. It is a very straightforward question. No, it's not. Question. Because the first thing is coming back to what I said earlier on, that if we are not open by the 19th, our people will be going abroad. Now, the planes go both ways. Yeah. So if our passengers if are, are going open, to go out, if, if we, we are, are open... open yes, of would course. Would you like to see people come into this country well, I'll from put other it, countries I'll put if it, we are open? I'll put it to this way. What are we going to do? Say, no, we're closed. What we're trying to say is that we're open. We're a welcoming country. If the people have their vaccines and if the people have a clear test and if they're entitled to come they'll be as welcome as the flowers in May at that stage because remember our, our sensible government were allowing them in here when they were telling all of us that we couldn't travel a couple of kilometres from our houses at the same time the airports were wide open here until the government realised oh, oh god yes the airports are causing a problem so if we allow them in without being vaccinated and without having clear tests surely be to god we'll allow them in if they have a, a vaccine Vaccine and if they have a clear test. Okay, can I ask you, the HSE hack was mentioned as slowing things down. Can we be guaranteed that these digital passports for Irish people will be operational and available from the 19th of July for those who intend going on a foreign holiday, but also if they are going to be needed to gain access to bars and restaurants? Well, the, the date of the 19th has been given in the context of an understanding of how long it has taken so far to deal with the hack. And I understand in fairness to the HSE, they've made a lot of progress in terms of decrypting the servers involved. So we're all hopeful and the, that is the expectation. But that date has been given knowing the problems that are there. So I presume they've factored that into it and we look forward to that. But the, the vaccination passport is the way forward, the way back to the normality that we all want to see. It's an opportunity for people to 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 be in a category where we know that there is... It's one thing for right. travel, but do you really expect that people will embrace it if it means division between the haves and have-nots in Irish society for doing things in Ireland? Uh, I don't think anybody wants that to happen, but I, I, I don't think it would start with the point of division. And again, it's not just for people who have been vaccinated. And I think that's one of the issues that's been in the discussion around this. If you refuse the vaccination or if you can't be vaccinated, then you'd be excluded. If you've had COVID, if you have a negative test, you can also avail of the passport. Just one point. I think something like 17 times the date of the 19th has been mentioned since the start of this programme. I don't know, when I think about it, people listening to us saying the 19th, the 19th, and when they hear when they hear a politician, and I'm not picking you now or anything, but talking about a date, 
they will say, I won't believe one word they're saying about dates because there has been so many dates given and so many dates broken. I wouldn't blame any person so for many, saying so about a politician. And so many deadlines achieved and yes. so many results achieved, Michael. Let's not be always negative. I'm we not, actually are on a really good track. If you know me, I'm definitely not a negative person. The vaccination program. And of course you can pick holes and of course you can criticise. Okay. But actually we're in a better place than we were a few months we ago. We leave it there for now. Our thanks to Michael Healy Ray and Barry Ward. And after the break, as the clock ticks down to polling day, our Dublin-based thought by-election debates continue as more candidates have their say in vaccine certs and the other big issues of the day. Now, our Dublin-based South by-election debates continued. We're joined here in studio by Social Democrats candidate Sarah Durkin and by Mairead Tobin of Into. I'm going to ask both of you the same question to start. As you're nearer, I'm going to ask you first. Imagine you win next week and you go to the Doyle the following week as a newly elected TD and one of the first votes you have to participate in is on the idea of vaccinations being made mandatory for people who are to enjoy indoor dining and hospitality. How would you vote? I think it's very difficult to make vaccinations absolutely mandatory. I think there has to be an element of choice. Nonetheless, it's extremely important that everybody gets vaccinated who can get vaccinated. Not everybody can. So but we recognise the issue that young people, particularly in the hospitality industry, are now being asked to serve uh, vaccinated people without being vaccinated. And they will still be waiting, even at best case scenario, uh, a number of months before everybody is fully vaccinated in the country. Um, so I so don't, how would you vote? We would not, I don't think we would vote in favour of mandatory vaccination, but it is important that but people get vaccinated. But I don't think it would quite be a question as to mandatory vaccination. It would be a question as to whether you would be able to enjoy certain services on the basis of whether you're vaccinated or not, and that it would be mandatory to go into that you would have to prove vaccination or having recovered from COVID. Right, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between proving that you're vaccinated or proving that you have a negative test and voting for mandatory vaccination. So in that case, we would support um, making sure that people would have to be able to prove that they either have a negative test, whether it's a PCR test or an antigen test, um, or a, a vaccine passport. How would you if vote? that's workable, but it's not necessarily that it's workable at the moment. I would vote against, HSE. obviously, mandatory vaccination again for similar reasons. I don't think you can compel people to be vaccinated. It's a matter of choice. Um, obviously, there are health benefits to it. We know this. It has uh, reduced our numbers considerably in hospitals since the rollout. It's proven very effective. Um, Again, I think the risk, we'd like to see more testing. We've all, AINTH has been in favour of, and in fact, the EU has approved antigen testing since last December. And Ireland seems particularly reluctant to use this as a method of opening up our society and getting things back to normal. Well, ENFIT doesn't seem to believe that antigen testing is particularly accurate and therefore it isn't safe. So why would you go against the EFIT advice on that? Why would you go against the EU advice? It's an approved testing. Lots of businesses in Ireland, lots of um, factories, large businesses are using it already and using it effectively. OK, now, when you go and you're canvassing at present, we're hearing that perhaps many of the people who are complaining about yesterday's decision are more vocal minority, that there is a silent majority who are happy to keep restrictions in place. What are you picking up? 
I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing a lot of frustration. A lot of people are fed up um, with the inconsistencies of our restrictions, more so than the delays. We have people questioning why you can, you know, you can have 50 people at a wedding and yet not have a Holy Communion party. You can have two families unvaccinated household and yet you can't have a, a confirmation ceremony. Where just the, com the complete inconsistencies with the restrictions are causing problems. Sarah, what are you picking up on that topic? Uh, look, I had a, a bride to be on the doorstep and absolute floods of tears um, at the thoughts of more restrictions. She's already moved her wedding uh, three times already. I'm talking to a lot of people in the events and arts industries who are very frustrated, understandably, about the lack of being able to get back to work, get back and, and open up again. So it's incredibly difficult for people, but, but do people think, do is it understand. Safe to open up? People do understand the public health advice and we've always followed the public health advice in the SOC Dems and that is important. But we need to see a faster rollout of the vaccine. We need to make sure that it is workable if there is a COVID passport. And something that's been not been talked about enough is ventilation in indoor spaces. And certainly we would like to see like they have in Belgium something like a CO2 um, monitoring that that would be brought in. So we know indoors the scientific advice that has come out of, of UCD and other places is that ventilation is key and we have that in a lot of our theatres but not so much in our pubs and so on and that would possibly be a big contributing factor in helping open up um, spaces faster alongside vaccination. Okay let's move to the topic of housing and Mairead many people who live in the Dublin Bay South constituency may live in valuable houses that are now rising in value as prices go up. Do they care about the fact that others are struggling to actually get on the housing ladder? Are they quite happy that actually they're doing quite well with the uptick in the value of their most valuable asset? Yes, they do care. First of all, Dublin Bay South is a very diverse constituency. I'm meeting lots of people in all kinds of housing, some Dublin City Council um, rental properties, others in private houses, but even those in large secure in their own houses are concerned for their children and their children's ability to get a house. You know, it is, it is distressing. I'm hearing, you know, sad stories at the doors too. People who have good jobs, who are university graduates, thinking now they will never be able to buy a house in their own hometown. But how much of the interest has been able to buy for themselves or having it provided to them by local authorities? Um, people recognise that we need serious solutions for the housing crisis right across the bay and across the country. We're talking about public housing on public land, a third affordable to rent, a third affordable to buy, a third social housing. As long as significant rent controls, we want to introduce a renter's charter. And if you see the recent legislation that has been introduced in the Dáil by Keno Callaghan and Roisin Shortall to address the housing issues, whether it's the strategic housing developments um, or indeed closing the, some of the tax loopholes around the, the and some of the institutional investors and the long-term leases that um, local authorities are looking at under Part 5. Um, people recognise that we need a complex range of solutions to the housing crisis. Is there not a role for the investment community in that or do you expect the state to pick up all the time? We expect the state to build public housing on public land. Um, all the evidence is pointing in the way that, that we should have never stopped building social and affordable housing. And there are people crying out for housing and they recognise we are going to have a massive brain drain. I'm talking to people who are leaving the country, who are leaving Dublin, who don't want to live or don't want to leave, but they can't stay here. Like PhD students who are doing medical research, architects in their 50s, two corporate lawyers who said, if we can't afford a house, who can? 
But if you have a situation where the banks seem to be limited in the amount of money that they can lend to developers and even to potential buyers, and the state is also limited, do you see a role for investors to actually build and perhaps own rented accommodation in the constituency? Well, there's there's roles for lots of different groups and lots of different types of houses. And and Ainthu has been one party that has called for all housing to be built, private and, and public. Last year alone, uh, every party was in agreement that only social housing should be built and there should be a stop on the construction of public houses. We've missed out an opportunity to build thousands of houses in the last year. Um, Sarah mentioned there the REITs. Ainthu has brought forward a bill just last week to level the playing field. REITs in this country have had tax advantages. Too often they're pitted against family when it comes to buying homes. And we're saying that's an unlevel playing field and that the tax advantage should be removed from those international investment funds. There's also lots of areas like, uh, you know, we have one in 33 houses vacant in Ireland at the moment. That could be up to as much as 200,000 houses that are vacant. We think these should be repurposed, brought back into use by grant aid, if necessary, to, to refit them, or by stick approach, really in taxing vacant premises if they remain vacant for very long. There's other areas too we would look at is rent cap, an immediate um, three-year rent cap. Homelessness, you know, rent, spiralling rents are driving people into homelessness. It's an area that we need to address very quickly. OK, another issue I want to bring up, and I believe you're a former pharmacist. So what do you think about the involvement of pharmacists and vaccinating younger people? Is that something you would want? And what about potentially teenagers when vaccinated? Well, first of all, I think it's great that community pharmacists have eventually been uh, involved in the vaccination rollout. They've been keen to, I'm actually working as a hospital pharmacist myself, but community pharmacists have been very keen from the outset to get involved in the vaccination programme. They were disappointed initially um, not to be involved earlier. We're happy to take the over 50s, but I think now obviously the new advice from NIAC allowing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that was the particular one that was given to community pharmacies, to allow that to be used in younger age groups will allow people to be vaccinated, more, more people and younger people people to be vaccinated. Well, well, as young as teenagers, perhaps, in the future, Sarah? I think if, if the science and the research and the evidence is there that teenagers are, can be safely vaccinated, then, then absolutely. I think it's in all our interests that as, as many people get vaccinated as possible by whatever means possible, by qualified people. And if we can bring our pharmacies more into that and more of the younger age groups so that we're not wasting vaccines, which can be an issue. Your party co-leader, Roisin Shortall, has been to the forefront in promoting Care. How confident would you be that the aftermath of the pandemic will be a new approach towards funding and running the health services? Well, I'm country? certainly not confident in the current government in funding this because they haven't done to date. There's been a lot of talk about it, but not a lot of action. They've thrown an awful lot of extra money into the health service over the last year. They have, but that has been COVID-related. So there's a whole slew of backlog that, has, and that we're hearing about on, on, the, on the doorsteps from ordinary... Uh, operations to certainly the mental health epidemic that is coming up behind it. So certainly we need to see Slauncher Care fully funded as soon as possible Briefly, and putting Marie, money into primary care. Very supportive of Slauncher Care, but again, doubt that the government are going to fully in invest in it. Um, we can just see the, the we've pushed constantly for the reopening of the healthcare services at the moment. We see that a lot of services are not fully back and operational yet. Um, we're piling up problems for the future. We have over a million, just under a million people on waiting lists for, for hospital appointments. We know there have been delayed cancer diagnoses. The Irish Cancer Society has even spoken out about this. That we're piling up problems for the future. We need to get our health service as it stands fully back opened. 
Okay, our thanks to Social Democrats Sarah Durkin and Marae Tobin of Into for joining us. Now, the other candidates standing in the Dublin Bay Sod by election are, in no particular order, James Gagan for Fine Gael, Deirdre Conroy for Fianna Fáil, Labour's Ivana Bacic, Lynn Boylan of Sinn Fein, Claire Byrne for the Green Party, Bridget Purcell for People Before Profit, Justin Barrett of the National Party, Renewa's Jackie Gilburn, and Independence Dolores Cahill, Peter Dooley, John Kyer, Colm O'Keefe, and Mannix Flynn. And of course, the polling day is Thursday, the 8th of July. So that's all we have time for tonight. I'll be back on Today FM tomorrow afternoon. I'm back here tomorrow night at the slightly later time of 11 p.m. Don't forget the Tonight Show is available as a podcast wherever you subscribe. And our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. Until then, thanks very much for watching and have a very good evening. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiancé. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com